Now, Australia's National Anti-Corruption Commission has begun its work. It's put on notice politicians and public officials who might be tempted into unethical, if not criminal, conduct. But the head of the commission has also warned politicians, don't use me to smear your opponents. So is there a risk of criminalising traditional politics? Because politics is always transactional. We're offered public services in exchange for our votes. Dr Kate Harrison-Brennan, head of the Sydney Policy Lab at Sydney University, has studied political ethics. Well, it's somewhat cartoon-like, isn't it, that idea that corruption involves bags of money being put down on a table. What we've developed is an appreciation of just how wide the ambit can be of corrupt conduct. And there's been obviously also more prominent public conversation about what that might entail if corruption is essentially about the misuse of entrusted power for private gain, or that's how you know Transparency International would define it, we then have our eyes open to a whole lot of ways in which entrusted power might be misused and diverted for private means. So I think there's a greater public awareness of what that might involve, not just the money bags on the table. In the context of the new National Authority Against Corruption, people have been talking about electoral bribes. This is real politics, though, isn't it? Are we at risk of criminalising politics if politics is the is the act of promising voters something in return for their support. Could this conceivably constitute a bribe, an electoral bribe? What that takes us into the territory of considering is how representative members of parliament can reflect the interests of their electorate, but how they're actually held within the checks and balances that are natural to our system on which the public relies to ensure that those interests are mediated to make sure that public goods are used for public purposes. I think in New South Wales, this has grown in prominence as an issue. Last year, ICAC put out a report as part of the process that was known as Operation Jersey that looked into this practice of pork barrelling, unfortunately, that had become quite endemic within the state of New South Wales. It delved into this practice in quite a lot of detail, looked at when a benefit is sought for an electorate, the political gain that an elected member of parliament should be seeking should only be something that they spoke of as a side wind. It shouldn't be the main purpose of giving a grant or seeking a benefit, getting something built in that electorate. And so it's these nuances that are really important, both for the practice of public officials, but also for the public to understand. And it's this type of reflections at the centre of what it means to have integrity in public life. Isn't all politics, though, Kate, to some extent transactional? Maybe the voters even participate because they often elect a sort of a big promising, big spending politician because the voters know we're going to get something out of it, a new rail link, a new bus service, a new hospital. It's all part of the deal, a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Ultimately, what we're talking about is how public good is directed and public resources. And if political theory, above all, is about how we relate to one another, there are various cultures that we think are acceptable to ensure that people are represented, that their interests um, are reflected through participation in political processes. But it's quite a different thing to engage in horse trading of a type where there's that entrusted power that we spoke of previously is actually directed for private gain. And when we reflect on practices of pork barrelling, however endemic they might have become in particular jurisdictions, the key there is that the public expects or should have reason to expect 
there'll be things not just like guidelines for how grants are allocated, but there is appropriate distribution of public goods and that that is transparent and open to scrutiny from a parliament and hence why there have been moves to not just have guidelines for these things, but also legislation in states like New South Wales. I'm thinking of this debate that's going on, for example, in New South Wales with the um, inquiry into the former Premier and it found that there were grants made to a couple of big projects in the electorate held by a former MP with whom she was in a relationship. One of those was a conservatorium in the Riverina. Now, it's arguable that you don't get much bang for your buck out of a conservatorium in rural or regional Australia. But at the same time, don't people in regional and rural Australia also deserve the same sorts of services and were a bureaucrat to simply assess this on a sort of cost-benefit analysis, it might not happen and an electorate misses out. This is where the sort of political corruption and ethics argument clashes a little bit with practical politics, doesn't it? What is required here is fit-for-purpose procedures for distributing public resources. And so what you're pointing to here is we know that there is underinvestment in regional, rural, remote Australia Unfortunately, the circumstances that have been laid bare in in New South Wales point to the use of public resources for private gain. So that's kind of what ICAC was speaking about, that any benefit given to your electorate should only have a kind of sidewind positive effect for you politically. It shouldn't be the determining factor. But you also speak to the underinvestment in locations where value for money may not be the meaningful metric there to be used. And so without mixing the two things, what it does point us towards is when there is significant inequality, even within a country, it is likely that in order to provide public benefit to people in in areas of greater disadvantage that people will seek to subvert processes. And what we should be doing in Australia is being proactive about ensuring that value for money is not the primary metric being used in some of these public decisions. We know that corruption and misuse of public office thrives when there's unequal distribution of resources, when it's very difficult for citizens to access services in a reliable way. And so now we've got these major new piece of the kind of integrity architecture in place with the National Anti-Corruption Commission. It's now time really in Australia to turn to those next order actions that need to be taken. And one of those should be addressing significant inequalities within the country and pockets of disadvantage where we know that resources won't be distributed in a way that's for the common good, relying only on our forms of electoral representation. When politicians make self-serving decisions, I always hear the sort of push to say, well, independent public servants, independent experts should make these decisions about where we spend the money. But who should make those decisions? Because at least with politicians, dodgy or not, you do ultimately get to pass public judgment on them at an election. We don't have that same power, do we, over an anonymous bureaucrat, no matter how expert? I think that assumes perhaps a little bit too positively that these types of decisions be laid bare in public Mm. uh, scrutiny if they are made by elected representatives. And we know that without these kind of key institutions that are inquiries into corruption, that that's simply not the case, that there can be cultures that develop where there is misuse of public funds. We'd best not set up a dichotomy between elected representatives and public officials. What public officials can do so well is to bring to bear the evidence base for the appropriate use of public funds to create the maximum benefit in a kind of thoughtful framework for measuring that. 
80% of Australians are interacting with government officials in the direct provision of services. You think of accessing Centrelink or Medibank or even using their passport at the border. These are all the ways in which most Australians are interacting with public officials. We then rely within our Westminster system on a very trustworthy public service that's fit for purpose. And I think the question is then how do you best create a workforce that is able to give frank and fearless evidence-based advice to decision makers and to work in a unified way that is not kind of pulling at odds with one another. That's the next kind of frontier for reform and building a public service that can be worthy of the trust placed in it by the Australian public. Doesn't Transparency International also suggest that too much bureaucracy, too much red tape, too much time taken to make basic decisions can add to corruption? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the you know factors that is most commonly spoken of in developing countries when it seems impossible for citizens to go about their daily life working through government services as they're uh, laid out. And that heightens the propensity for people to give bribes or engage in informal means of getting the services that they should be able to access. And so that's one thing in Australia that can be considered is how do we redesign services to be customer-driven or citizen-focused so that we reduce the propensity for people to seek workarounds? Transparency International reports globally on the percentage of people who have offered a bribe to a public official at last glance in Australia, it's around 3%. So it's not non-existent. We'd want to get that percentage lower and lower. And the easiest way in which that can be done is ensuring that um, red tape is reduced so that the incentives are not there for people to seek workarounds. Always good to have you back on the program, Dr. Kate Harrison-Brennan. She's the director of the Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. And Kate is also an expert in government and public ethics. Thank you so much for coming back to the Religion and Ethics Report. Thanks so much, Andrew. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.